for Live Music presents Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And this week it's spread time. Spread. Widespread panic. Unfortunately, our engineer Josh Thane couldn't be with us. He wanted to be. He, he loves widespread. Josh from Wonder Dog Sound Studios, which, by the way, we're going there. When this airs, we will be heading out there. Matter of fact, when you're listening, you might be listening to this right now, and we'll be interviewing Voodoo Visionary, which was recorded, the band was recorded at... Yeah, they recorded the new uh, off-the-ground CD at Wonder Dog, which is a state-of-the-art studio, but it's also a bucolic uh, residential Marietta setting. Really, really beautiful backyard for those cerebral moments of contemplation and creativity and cool dogs as well. But, you know, when I was there, I loved the way they get some of the sound effects. Oh, well, like, uh, would they make you, like, take the uh, plastic and shake it for the wind? No, no, no. That was when I worked on the Outcast album. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, this is, uh, they, they like, we'll, we'll have it playing through a speaker and then through another pickup. And then, another, and, you know, he has, uh, uh, Mark has all these, the man who runs the studio, he has all these old style equipment kind of things, little tricks up his sleeve that he can Nelson, use. son, come over here and just hold this guitar. So I know there's a lot of spreadheads in Georgia. A lot of people have musicians that are bands. They, you know, while this this place has established acts and some national acts come through, they also could do a local bands if you are looking for, you know, somewhere that's nearby but it will give you a professional, kick-ass recording. Wonder Dog Sound Studios. If you want to know what it sounds like, just check out Voodoo Visionaries' album Off the Ground. Which you can watch. Is it on Bandcamp that you can listen to it for free now? Spotify. Spotify Spotify has it. Oh, right. I love that record. I just listened to it again because they were trying to pick out a song for the Relic Sampler. Hmm. Of course, the one I wanted was too long because I'm old school and have an attention span. So in this episode that we do interview Jojo Herman, uh, who was, we didn't interview when he was here for, with, with Widespread Panic. We, he was here with his new band, Slim Wednesday. Which actually a very fun band. The the Professor Longhair influence is there as you as you might expect with JoJo. Oh, well, he even started the evening out doing a uh, crawfish boil uh, and just played. And the thing that was neat about uh, JoJo in doing that is he played just long hair music, right? Professor Longhair music and a couple new things and and one uh, chunk of coal that fish. But, but he but he was I mean, like he looks at it everyone. The first thing he says is like, "Hey guys." Don't worry about me up here. Just like hang out, talk. I don't care. Talk over me. It's just I. I just want to play. Yeah, very down to earth guy. And very also, nice. over the you know he comes out and hangs out, and plays, hangs out some more and leaves. He went and talked. He went everybody, by yeah, every is. table. Every anybody wanted to talk to him. He w- took some time. He was not in a hurry to get out of there at all. He's such an incredibly down to earth guy. Mm-hmm. And this was, took place at the City Winery Atlanta. And the City Winery is a is known to be a very sit down oriented type of show. Uh, when the the Slim Wednesday band performed, it started off where everyone was kind of sitting, and it was a lot of Panic fans. Obviously, actually, all Panic fans. And then by you know by yeah, four or five songs in, people were starting to get up and and move around. But it was funny to watch people like dancing in their chairs at first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it can be uncomfortable at City Winery. Like when Los Lobos kicked into the not not fade away, and then people slowly got up, and then yeah, next thing you know, City Winery, everybody's dancing. Well, it's, it's hard to like do like a, a sit down show with when it's a dancing show, or you know what I'm saying, or vice versa. Vice versa. And Rob is chugging water, folks. He's like on a he's on a liquid diet lately. I'll tell you, if you're talking about sit down shows, as much as I love the new variety, I went there and saw Leo Kaki, Keller Williams. Oh yeah, tell which us. Which was a great show, but during the Leo Kaki set, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Leo Kaki. Extremely, uh, you know, attentive audiences, you know, are, are best for Leo. You know, he's solo. You he want p- to hear 
the pin drop. Yeah, and you want to hear the intricacy, and you want to hear his little stories. And um, I guess the security was told no, no cell phones or something, but they took it way too seriously. They were marching up and down the aisles like they were patrolling a border, constantly shining. You're trying to watch Leo Kotke, and you keep getting a light out of the corner of your eye. That's just- the thing with some of the security companies. I mean, that's uh, like the fire lane thing. It's like, I know you guys have to have a fire lane. That's I get the fire it. marshal, though. I know, I know, but just, just you know, kind of sometimes just chill out a little bit. Just, just. Well, in this case, it was a security company that definitely was used to working, you know, more well, rowdy yeah, that's, shows. Well, that's what I'm saying is you get these security companies and they're used to the rowdy shows that are that are aggressive personalities, and they, it just doesn't mesh well with a crowd that's chill. It's just no, kind of a place crowd, that they're almost security pushing should for stand at the back and just you know be quiet like the rest of the crowd. Yeah, but some, sometimes these there guys was no get so, need. Sometimes they get so aggro, and I'm not talking about variety. I'm talking in general security yeah, companies. They yeah. get so aggro because they're looking for something to do. The only reason it was for variety I'm mentioning is because it's so weird. That was never the case in the past. And I'm not anti-variety. I love the place. The new new variety is awesome. They got bathrooms downstairs, better sight lines, better sound. It's a great venue. I'm just now. I'm afraid I'm not going to spend money on Christian McBride. I'm, I'm, I don't want to go to you know pay forty dollars just to have a light shine in my eyes while I'm trying to enjoy Christian McBride play play jazz you no, know it's in, in the state of mind that you normally see those shows that light must look like a train coming at you uh, <laughs> jazz shows no you can't probably, have, you I'll get probably have coffee no yeah black coffee and a little you know green tea <laughs> any rate uh hey speaking of i don't even know just what how- were we speaking of we were headed to the JoJo interview, Seth, but there was one other thing you wanted to talk about. We have a little deer tick story coming on. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. At the, we're going to close this episode with uh, an interview that I did without Rob. Sorry, Rob. You weren't there. No, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I've heard your interviews without me. Oh. But go on. <laughs> this, this actually produced something good. Um, deer tick I got to sit down with uh, during My Morning Jacket's One Big Holiday, and uh, we did a little poolside broadcast, and uh, just going to share something with you guys. Uh, the reason why we're doing this is uh, it's it's to complement episode 29 with Steve Berlin. Episode 29, you look very nice today. And uh, <laughs> Deer Tick talks about working with Steve Berlin, so I thought that would be a nice thing to pull and share with you all as you just listened to episode 29. <laughs> if you didn't listen to episode 29, go ahead and listen to it and then check out the Deer Tick piece, because it's pretty funny. So... Uh, we, we stick around to the end for that. And before we do that, I was thinking maybe we'd do something a little different. What, are we going to mention that we just interviewed Patterson Hood, and that'll be uh, part of our intro to the David Barbie episode? Well, there's that. But talking about making He's a phone guy. call, I'd like to make oh, a phone call. Oh, your buddies. Yeah, there's, there's you know, it's, would it be bad to make a phone call? It'd be bad and then some. Oh, would you say it would be bad plus? Because... Let's go ahead and give a call in and check in on the road with the Bad Plus. You know I love that they're bringing jazz to the youngins. Yes, you know I, I love that. I do, too. I do, too. So, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and do that right now. And then we'll come back and set you guys up Hello, for the JoJo. how are you? We got Reed Anderson with the Bad Plus on the phone here. Reed, how you doing? Fine, thanks. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Well, let's start. Where Where are you right now? Because you guys are doing a tour, but uh, has it started yet? No, I'm at home in Brooklyn. 
Okay, you're in Brooklyn, but the other, some of the other guys now are in uh, Europe or, or some some other continent, I believe. Yeah, um, you know, we we scatter to the winds and then we re regroup and start the tour. So the most recent CD, uh, it's hard, is an is a record of covers, which is on the heel on the heels of your previous three of your previous four records previous to that were mostly originals, right? That's right. Yeah. But on um, no, it's tough enough for rock bands to decide what songs to cover and what songs not to it because you don't want to cover something too common, something's been overdone, something that's too familiar. So when you guys are putting it all t- together, how does it? How do you sort through what songs to cover and to what extent you're going to deconstruct them? Um, well, there are a few factors. It's it's not always the same for every song, but generally speaking. Um, we have to like the song and feel like we can deliver, <clears throat> excuse me, deliver the the, me- the message of the song with our instrumentation, you know, with piano, bass, and drums. It has to have some kind of hook that we can grab onto. And in fact, a lot of times we gravitate towards like more popular, more familiar material. Because um, in a way that gives us more freedom to take things farther apart. Now, we tweeted today the beautiful ones, your version of the beautiful ones, because as we speak, uh, we are on the cusp of the first anniversary of Prince's death. Have right. You, have you covered any other Prince over the years? No, we haven't. And that one, we actually recorded it before he passed. Um, you know, it was being from the Minneapolis area, obviously something that was, you know, we discussed it for a long time and um, finally got around to it with this one. And I remember way, way back, I have a videotape of you guys from, I think, the Rochester Jazz Festival, and you have a woman Mm -hmm. with you, and you're covering, doing a wonderful cover of Wilco's song, Radio Cure. Who who was that woman who used to sing with you back then? Well, Wendy Lewis, yeah. We did one record. Um, We wanted to do a record with a vocalist, and she's an incredible vocalist from the Twin Cities area. And, uh, yeah, we made a record with her called... um, Oh my God, it's totally escaping me now. Um, for All I Care. And oh, okay. we toured with her for about a year. And yeah, that was just kind of a, a project that we did. And it's an itch. It has lithium on it, it has Comfortably Numb, it has Barracuda. T- talking about what you just talked about, how you were able to take more liberties on those long distance runaround from Yes. You were, you're able to take your own liberties, right? Exactly, yeah. We always try to, you know, claim the song as our own in the end. But one of your records more recently, I got to credit you for having balls, man, because you covered <laughs> Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. As a matter of fact, usually when I'm, I just, you know, was preparing the last couple of days for this, you know, interview, usually I, I will wander to the original material. But Rites of Spring jumped mm-hmm. out at me. I had to hear it. And I got to tell you, you guys did a wonderful job. You you, you, you guys did it right, he would say. Yeah. <laughs> but it's known for strings, and you're bringing it in a completely different context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's uh, it was challenging. <laughs> we can definitely cop to that. It was, uh, it was a lot of work and, um, you know, ultimately really fulfilling, you know, to be able to get so deep into a incredible masterpiece like that was was a great experience and um 
it was it was fun to get to the point where we could perform it without you know being totally freaked out absolutely and then when you do stuff like with joshua redman or bill frizzell are you uh dipping into some of this uh material or is it more on standard well they size? have a record with josh their most recent record of original material was with josh redman uh-huh. yeah that's right um for that we all wrote music for you know that particular the, the four of us um and josh had toured we had done uh, a fair amount of touring with josh sort of it started as him as our as our special guest playing our original music and then evolved into this sort of um, band, which is the the Bad Plus Joshua Redman. Well, there's a band called Humphreys McGee that's a very good friend of this show, and they've worked with Josh Redman, and they talk about how amazing it is how quickly he can pick up not not just their material, but sort of the intent behind it and and where to color and where to lay back. Do you get that kind of sense as well? Yeah, for sure. He's a great musician, and it was it was uh, absolutely a pleasure to play with him. But then you also composed with him. So what what was it like composing with him? And were, were they your ideas? And he was did he come with ideas, or were they mostly your ideas? And then him bringing some flair to it. Um, well, the, the way the composition part works is we all write individually. So I'll write a couple songs and bring them in, and Dave and Ethan and Josh each wrote. A, a couple of songs that contributed to the whole of the record. So um, in that sense, it was kind of business as usual. But um, we all, you know, it's good to write with, with various people in mind. And so, you know, creating this music with the four of us in mind, I think really had a had a, a big effect on how the music came out. And, and do you expect to do more touring with Josh in the coming months? Uh, you know, I'm not quite sure. I, the last date on the books is coming up... Um, in Montreal, twenty eighth or twenty ninth, uh, not in Montreal, no, in Reno. Montreal is the uh, he's. I think Rob's referring to the Montreal Jazz Festival, uh, where I believe he's playing with you guys. Possibly. Oh really? <laughs> that's that's maybe that's just you know what? Maybe. No, you know what, Rob? I'm I'm mixing pluses and asterisks and hashtags. That's uh, oh, that's rude. I think my... I need different eyes here. Or I need they some need glasses. more distinctive <laughs> notifications on their website, perhaps. Uh, so, so quick question though. Uh, jo- <laughs> talking about Joshua Redmond makes me think uh, of Kamase Washington. Have you ever performed with him, or any plans to? Nope. I... Haven't uh, haven't performed with him, and no, nothing. Are you familiar with him or his work with Kendrick Lamar at all? Sure. Yeah, of course. Because it does seem much like Bad Plus that um, Kamasi's opening jazz up to a whole new audience. Mm-hmm, sure. Yeah, I mean, he's he's really uh, done some great stuff, and we, we just don't happen to know him or have any plans at the moment, but you never know. Well, he's a big listener here on Inside Out, and I'm just kidding. Kamasi, Maybe he is, you never he know. Could be. If he's smart, uh, he is. Um, <laughs> and then looking at your tour dates, which, by the way, folks, if uh, those listening in May, they're starting up in San Diego on May 1st, uh, going to Austin, Texas on the 3rd. Hey, in to... New York, May 9th through the 14th at the Jazz Standard, right here in Atlanta, May 7th. City Winery, is that, a, is that just a warm-up gig for the Jazz Standard run? No, uh, you know, we're kind of touring sort of constantly, so there isn't really like a warm-up gigs for things per se, usually. It's all kind of the steady stream of, you know, years of making music. When was the last time you played Atlanta? Um, 
do you know? <laughs> it's been, trying it's to been think. a couple years. Yeah, it's been a couple years. I so think at the we Variety played Playhouse. there like three or four years ago. Yeah, exactly. That was a great show, actually. Um, it's, it's always a great yeah, show. Yeah, it's been like three or four years. <laughs> it's time um, to get back there. Well, let me ask you another question here. Looking at these tour dates, I noticed there's a lot of uh, jazz festivals when it comes down to the festivals. Uh, however, you're a band that really mm-hmm. crosses over. Uh, is that is this by intent? Are you not playing um, some of the more ma- uh, some? Of them, I don't want to call them mainstream festivals, but things like Wani or or um, Mountain Jam or you know any of these sort of music festivals that are out there. Uh, yeah, do you get approached by them, and are you hesitant to play them? Those type of festivals. Oh, we certainly wouldn't be hesitant to play them. It's just, I think, um, you know, we have done like festivals like Bonnaroo and, and, um, you know, a couple of the more so-called, I guess, mainstream festivals, but generally speaking, I guess we're still kind of regarded as a a jazz group. We certainly would play, um, you know, we, we have no restrictions on, you know, what kind of festival we play at. Well, that's good to know, because I definitely am going to say that uh, you guys would be a good fit for one of the events I uh, t- attend oh, every year, yeah. my Jam Cruise chat. Uh, okay. but I, what jumps <laughs> out at me on, be good October, on, that, on October 7th in Urbana, Illinois, uh, mm-hmm. I'm jealous of people in Urbana, man, because well, you're going to play the Tryon uh-huh. Festival Theater there on October 7th with Bill Frizzell. Now, is this... Oh, yeah. We're looking forward to that. Do you play the whole show together? Do you each do a set and then play together? No, we're planning on um, actually doing some concerts where we're playing uh, Bill's music from between 1985 and 1995. Mm. Just music that really influenced us a lot. And um, yeah, we just asked him if he'd like to do something like that. And he was open to it. Uh, I think Rob's going to be traveling for that one. Yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm loaded with curiosity, but we got to keep it short. But just let me let me ask you this. So you, you, you have his music. <laughs> But you're a band that tends to reinterpret things. So do you learn his music as it is and then begin the reinterpretations when you get with him? Or do you learn the music, offer, uh, kind of put together a reinterpretation and then present it to him? No, no. I mean, we'll, we're going to play his music as best we can. We're not trying to, like, you know, impose ourselves on, on Bill's music. We just want to, you know, be the band. <laughs> But he seems like the type that might, if you took one or two of his songs and offered him a different angle, that he might go with it. I mean, doesn't he sometimes rework his own stuff, too? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can't really say until we're all in a room together rehearsing it. Um, you know, whatever makes good music. If 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 something goes in a certain direction and everyone's, um, you know, cool with that, then that's great. But we're, we certainly don't have an agenda of like, well, we got to, you know, we have to impose our stuff on top of this either, you know. Yeah. Well, and one last thing, your your bandmate Ethan Iverson has a blog called Do the Math that I'll tell you, everybody in the music industry, whether or not they like your band, I might add, uh, is intimately mm-hmm. familiar with this blog. He does some excellent, excellent interviews. Mm-hmm. But he ran afoul with the PC police recently. Kind of, kind of ugly response to a, a Robert Glasper making a rather innocuous remark about the realities of response to music and it turned into this whole whole thing now what did the other two guys of the band think about that when something innocent like that blows up on something and even though you're not involved at all the names dragged in with it what what do you think about that well you know we i think that you know 
the point is it's it's Ethan's blog, and we just want to stay away from it. We don't we don't, um, you know, he speaks for himself, and and we really have nothing to do with that. So, I think that you know, I, I wouldn't characterize it as just like the PC police jumped and attacked some you know innocuous thing. I think there was a reason for you know some things to be discussed, and and uh, you know I'll leave it at that. Sure, and I welcome the discussion, but I would have to disagree mm-hmm. with you on that. I, I want to just close by asking you uh, a question, something we've talked to a lot of different musicians about. Um, you guys travel Europe a lot, and playing to the U.S. crowd versus playing to the European crowd, what kind of differences do you do you see? Yes, good question. Well, I would say that in Europe there's a little more of a tradition of, you know, people just... You know, there's a lot of music coming through and people going out to just check out some culture, for example. And that can be great, but it all can also can feel like, oh, well, here's this audience. It's just, you know, going to see some jazz. Um, and I'm, <laughs> this is a total blanket statement. This does not apply to every situation because, frankly, playing in Europe is fantastic and playing in the States is fantastic. Um, but I think to a certain extent, because there isn't that, um, you know, kind of readily available, or there isn't as much of a circuit, let's say, of for for jazz and so forth coming through in the states, um, that it feels a little more sometimes like you have to earn your audience, and I think that's a good thing. You're saying more of that in the U.S. that you have to earn your audience. Yeah. Do you see? Mm-hmm. You, you saying by grabbing their attention? You mean? Yeah, I say like you know, there there isn't as much of a maybe. Like I said, people just going out like a kind of a built-in ready-made audience. You've got to you've got to do a little more. I think building overall of of the audience and and hopefully acquiring like gen, genuine fans of your music. And in Europe too, but like in Europe, there's there is just um, like I said, more of a tradition of like there's a there's lots of jazz musicians touring through Europe. There's a lot of it's a different mm-hmm. logistical situation, you know. That's interesting because I've always had the attitude that the jazz audiences were much better in Europe and that they listen more carefully. But that's an interesting point where it's more of a cultural thing, and they're just kind of going out to go out, whereas in America they're going out to have an experience to have an have like a a celebration uh yeah well <clears throat> i i mean again that, that's like a really blanket statement sure, because sure. to imply that General people terms. in europe are just going out just to go out <laughs> is totally wrong um i gotta change the but headline I think just it, especially initially initially there's like you you might have an audience of people that are there initially more so than in the states is what i'm saying mm-hmm. hopefully over time it evens out and you have genuine fans and people wanting to go see your band. But do chatty audiences frustrate you ever? Be honest. Say again? Do chatty audiences, and I'm not talking about occasional comments, I mean the the incessant, incessantly chatting audiences, do they bother you ever? Uh, Well, of course. Fortunately, we don't encounter that too much, but yeah, we don't take too kindly to it. I mean, we're, Yeah. That says a lot. Even when you play these festivals, you're not encountering... Because I've been even famous jazz festivals and found 
mm-hmm. their audiences at points very chatty. And if you're commanding audiences like that, that speaks volumes about your band. Sure. Well, not to say, you know, we played the like the Playboy Jazz Festival last year and, you know, there's nothing like being totally ignored by 10,000 people, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's when you went from the bad plus I, to the angry plus. <laughs> or just the, like, you know, no, it's, it was fine. Cool. Well, we look forward to seeing you here on the road at some time in the near future. Uh, again, uh, everyone that's out there in the listening world, you can check them out at thebadplus.com for tour dates and more information. Especially May 7th, City Winery, Friends of the Show. Um, they're doing the run at New York right after that. And if you live anywhere near Urbana, Illinois, you should be at the Tryon Festival Theater on October 7th because the chance to see Bill Frizzell play with these guys is a special, special opportunity that's not going to be available often. People. Absolutely. Or maybe it will be soon. Well, I don't yeah, know. Maybe yeah. we'll all get lucky. But I yeah. don't think so. These yeah. kind of things tend to be fleeting. Reed, thanks so much for your time. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right, take care. So be sure to check out the Bad Plus as they make their way through uh, the U.S. here. I know they'll be in Atlanta in a couple weeks and and onward and upward, so check them out on their tour. Uh, But here we go into JoJo. Rob, what do you got to say about JoJo? Uh, It was great to talk to him. Um, You were were surprised at at some of the things he said. You were actually, you were were intrigued. I saw you. I was definitely intrigued at points. I got a little frustrated toward the end, but I was definitely intrigued early on. The, the end, he's kind of threw the same answer at a, at a bunch of different questions. It was a little brick wally, but... Well, we also approached the uh, time. I mean, I, you were, I was looking at that. Do you think about Rob and I, when we're in an interview, I, I'm conscious of the time. If someone says they have till five and it's like 4.55, I'm like looking at it. Whereas Rob's like, it's 5.55. Five, five. I'm like, yeah, that's 5.55. They need to be done at five. Well, I, <laughs> I, the thing is, Seth looks at the clock. I more look at the face of the, of the interview subject. I don't. I look at the face too. Well, you know, you read them, and that's like like with Bayless. Bayless went ten, fifteen minutes longer because he was having a good time. Yeah, sure. But then there were a couple other people who I won't mention. Who I won't say they were having a bad time, but you could see. Yeah, they got They got to go. I mean, yeah, you got to sound check at five o'clock. You got to go. I mean, we're overbearing. Let's face it. Mm, a little bit. Both of us, particularly you. Oh yeah. Oh, you know what? That's it. I that. I'm out. All right. There's Seth has just quit, and we're going to run the JoJo interview now, and we'll see if Seth comes back and plays the Deer Trick story for us after we listen to JoJo from City Winery in Atlanta. Thank you, City Winery.
Yeah, yeah. Now we're good. We're sitting here backstage at City Winery with a man who tickles the truth in a band known for the honest tunes with lingering leads, Mr. John Jojo Herman. Welcome. Thanks. Good to have you. Good to have you. And you have a brand new band, and that's who you're here with, and I'd love to start with them if that's all right. Even though it's yeah, a Tuesday, man. can we talk about the band? Yeah. I mean, well, tomorrow will be Slim Wednesday. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, we were uh, originally the Mardi Gras band, and because we only played on Mardi Gras, and, um, and but now we kind of uh, decided to play a little more and, and kind of get it going a little bit, and... Um, my buddy Bill Elder uh, said something to the effect of uh, he's our lead singer and lead guitar player is Bill Elder uh, from the Dynamites. And he said something to the effect of like, well, man, after Mardi Gras gig, he's like, man, it feels like Slim Wednesday today. <laughs> so uh, a name was born. And, that, and we just like, well, let's just go with that. Yeah. Where are the Dynamites from? Nashville, Tennessee. And that's where you're living now, right? Yeah, we're all based out of Nashville. We are the number one Professor Longhair Nashville based tribute band um, in Nashville so we're very proud of that mm-hmm. and is this the same band that played on Jam Cruise in, in January yes yes now there's a song Daisy May when you when you introduce it you say you haven't played it in 20 years what's the story behind Daisy May um, Daisy May was written in Mississippi when I was living out in Taylor um, and uh, and uh, I brought it into the band uh, in, into Panic and it, it was just you know we bring in, we all bring in so many songs, you know, some kind of stick around and others kind of get fall by the wayside. You know, it's, there's never really a purpose or reason behind that. It just kind of happens. And then I uh, was putting this little tour together and I was like, well, let's do Daisy May, you know, with the horns and, and uh, see how that works. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's been working really good. Real quick on the flip side of that, of your three solo albums... What one song would you most like to see widespread do that they've not done yet? <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, I mean, God, you know, they, they do so many, they, they're so gracious and, and generous when, you know, people bring in ideas. So, um, we, uh, we did Mountain Hideaway at Red Rocks, uh, and that came in and mm-hmm. I was, I was pretty psyched about that. Nice. So walk us through who's in the current band. Well, Bill Elder, like I said, is our lead singer, guitar yeah. player, um, and uh, John J.J. Jackson on sax. He was in Nashville when we started, but he moved to L.A. He's now on the road with Macy Gray. So we put him on a plane from Portugal just to make this gig here wow. tonight. <laughs> wow. And uh, he's on sax, and then uh, Ben Clark is on trumpet, um, who plays with just about everybody in Nashville and, and tours and uh, Kevin Mabin who's an original member of the Mardi Gras band who we've known forever we met at a church in Murfreesboro Tennessee he's on drums and Greg Bryant on bass he's a phenomenal he's just been so great to work with and uh, and Greg plays with the McCrary sisters and uh, and uh, is just one of the, the best bass players in uh, Nashville and is there original material specific to this band? We've written a lot of songs. We we drove in last night, went to the studio, and cut uh, some new songs. Yeah, oh, really? So, um, studio yeah. here in Atlanta? Which studio? Uh, it's called Diamond Street Studios, uh, right over there in, on Euclid Avenue. And uh, yeah, oh, we, we're, uh, we're definitely cutting some new songs, got some originals, going to do an album later in the year. And, uh, you know, hopefully next year we get on the festival circuit and do some of that stuff. That's that studio... Um 
that uh, not Charles was it Charles Bradley I think recorded there Charles like, Walker Charles uh, Walker with the that's dynamite. A, well yeah. that's the dynamite yeah. ah okay so that's Bill's studio there you go. Yeah. that's where he records all it's kind of like a hidden I mean a hidden gem is right next it to is. Variety and you would never know it's, it's there it's right behind this great little dive bar which I, I don't uh, know El, El, uh, El Mir yeah that's <laughs> awesome and when you that played is. on Jam Cruise Colonel Bruce sat in with you and I thought it was very creative to share lead vocal with him on Stagger Lee. Yes, well, he, you know, he presented that idea. It's like, well, I know Stagger Lee, so yeah. It'd be yeah, a fun but, thing at well, the Fox to do, because there's so many different versions of Stagger Lee. It'd be fun to like string together a few. Hold, yeah. hold, hold on, hold on a second, Rob. Jojo, I noticed that you're not on the bill for the Fox. Is yes, that, what's oh, the deal I'll with that? Yeah, I just assumed you were. I assumed. Uh, no, I. I mean, they asked me and everything, and yeah, but. Uh, I, I just got another gig that night, so New I, wasn't, I wasn't available. Yeah, something yeah. in New Orleans? Uh, it's not in New Orleans. Now oh. I got something in Nashville, and I just uh, had committed to it. So you know, uh, but that's well, okay. But listen, I, better that you committed to that than got committed. Hey, you know, they got Chuck Lavelle. <laughs> I do not think that show is hurting for a keyboard player, right? <laughs> and before we go way back, just a real quick question on widespread panic. Um, there have been times in the past where they've uh, either taken a break from touring or pulled back on touring where it's been fruitful for you and other songwriting-wise. Do you feel like uh, that's something positive for Spreadheads to look forward to in the, in the coming year or two, that maybe there's a little more time to jump in the studio, write Ab- new stuff, rework old stuff that you haven't finished? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We're uh, you know just kind of laying low right now, but yeah, we're definitely going to start kicking it and, and getting ideas together. Yeah, look forward to it. And Rob, while we're on that, I do want to bring up um, one of our uh, recent interview we did with uh, Randall, Randall Bramblett. He mentioned um, on his perspective of what he hears from from widespread is is that the band's feeling really good. Uh, the Panic and La Playa, not just the fans' perspective, but the artist's perspective, was one of the best yet. Um, what's going on? Is it the is it the space that you guys have, or what? What's the key ingredient right now that's leading to this this? Uh, this level that you guys are at um well the la playa shows were really really fun we just uh showed up and uh, got in the rehearsal room before the gig and you know just all just uh kind of clicked it's just it just all seems dialed in um it's just a chemistry thing it's hard to explain but you know it's just kind of dialed in I'm, it's but mm-hmm. it feels so good right now and know? i represent the fan side of things and i gotta say that 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 does prevent if there's a little hostility from your fan base it's because you guys are playing so well and you've at this point chosen this point to take the break i mean if you need it you need it but it but now some fans are kind of confused by i that. mean we got a lot of gay we got the you know i'm, I'm looking at my calendar and, you know, we're, <laughs> you're we, busy we're definitely playing yeah well i yeah. think the last year when you guys came out and said that you're going to be cutting back everyone freaked out and thought like like oh my god but really what you were saying is we're just not going to get on the tour bus going from gig to gig we're going to do right. more weekend runs and we'll and just, space things out a little bit more is that correct for for this year yeah that's all we meant yeah but exactly. does that mean your side projects you're, you're ready to go out and do more with your side projects if you have more time uh yes that allowed me to do that yeah by not doing a spring tour i was able to do this so yeah like one thing you were able to do is a crawf- these crawfish bo- broils at yes. crawfish boils at City Winery? These are your idea. You you came to them with well, the idea. Well, I'm a I'm a huge crawfish fan, and I got to tell you, when I moved to Mississippi, you know, the crawfish boil was just a huge thing. You know, it would just it was just a part of life. You know, it was when spring came around, when April rolled in, and and the, the weather got good, everybody break out some crawfish. So we did a crawfish boil at Proud Larry. Scott Carradine is a master crawfish uh boiler and um 
so yeah you know just trying to get crawfish back into uh back into my life a little bit and it's been great mobile had a great crawfish boil at the on cathedral square at the south sounds festival it's a hard word to say and who's but, doing the boiling uh i don't know tonight who is uh city winery you know seth was hoping you were he was all yeah. excited i'm gonna eat them i'm not gonna boil he wanted them, jojo boiled yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be eating them though definitely yeah. if if jojo ever was to do it the brown to be jojo sucks <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> All right, anything more recent before we go back to New York in the 80s? Uh, yeah, one, one recent go thing. Ahead. What's go the deal ahead. with basketball? Is this happening next year? Oh, on the, on the Panic La Playa? Panic La Playa, pending that Panic La Playa. Absolutely. Does oh, yeah, we want to do it this year, but uh, we, it, it came up to me at the last minute. So we could, but, yeah, we're going to do a three-on-three tournament, a basketball tournament. And, um, uh, yeah, La Playa next year. And uh, I got a team together. We're called the Hoop Nazis. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to win. You know, we're not fooling around. All right. Stakes are big on that. Okay, Rob, bring us back. back. So in the, in the sure, 80s, do you want the sound effect or no? No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so you lived with your mom and we're playing around town in New York in the 80s, right? Um, well, I, I, you know, I, I would live there intermittently, you know, and then I'd get thrown out. <laughs> And then, you know, it ended up back. So it, it was an on and off thing, you know, about moving back home. Uh, the rent was very, very expensive in New York. So there were a few times when uh, I did have to move back home. But I would play <coughs> piano in her apartment. And the neighbors uh, filed an eviction notice. Oh, God. <laughs> and that's when I left. That's when I was like, okay, it's time to get out of here. <laughs> that's pretty funny because I know people who would pay to have... Yeah. Jojo Herman playing well, the piano not, in the next apartment at this point. Not in, not in a rent-controlled New York City apartment, nope. But who were you playing? I mean, you were definitely a Professor Longhair fan already at that point, right? Yes, I was just playing Boogie Woogie, and I played very loud. And it was a small apartment, and uh, and all the neighbors uh, were... And I played, like, for five hours. I mean, I played all day. That's all, you know. And so they got really fed up with it and, and threw me out. out. I was out on the street. That's when I went to Mississippi. But wait a minute. Before you go to Mississippi, you meet Robert Palmer, the writer. Yes. Who wrote liner notes for Miles Davis, Ray Charles. I mean, this very accomplished yes. writer wrote for Rolling Stone. He was a big influence on you, right? How, how did you Huge. meet him? I met him through Sidell Davis, a blues artist from Arkansas that he brought up to New York City to do a gig at a, a blues bar. Well, it was really an Irish bar that would bring in blues artists uh, called Tramps on 15th Street in Irving Place. And it's not there anymore. It's called something else. But it's still an Irish bar. But uh, anyway, Sidell um, is in a wheelchair. And Bob lived in a walk-up brownstone in Brooklyn. And he couldn't put him up. And it's like, and I was in a dorm room um, at school. And and so anyway, I I was like, well, I'll, you know, put up Sidell Davis. This is so cool, you know. A guy from the Delta coming up. and. And Sidell stayed with me about four or five days, and I got to know Sidell, and I met Robert through Sidell. We played together, and uh, when I was uh, evicted and thrown out in the street and basically turning into a street urchin, uh, Bob said, well, why don't you go to a place called Oxford, Miss- Mississippi, where he wrote Deep Blues, the book. And he, uh, Which is an excellent, excellent book. Yeah, it's, it's That's really, his crowning jewel of his career, really. I think it, yeah. I mean, if you're going to... You know, it's that and Blues from the Delta, Bill Ferris's book, are the two, you know, classic books on the blues. And uh, But Bob said, once you go to Oxford, I, I just landed there and uh, I just... Well, now, went- wait a minute. You Wasn't there some weirdness with the flight or is that a made-up story where you overheard someone talking about Ole Miss and then ended up getting a ride from them? Is that a yeah. true story? 
Well, you know, being from New York City, you just assume there are trains and buses that take you everywhere 24-7. And when I landed in Memphis, that was not the case. So, yes, I, I, I definitely had to hitch a ride from some incredibly kind people. Um, and uh, it was amazing to me that, uh, you know, they would give me a 90-minute ride, you know, and drop me off. You know, at midnight in in Oxford. You know, on the were they sort of preparing you for the city on the way? Were they telling <laughs> um, you about Oxford? Man, uh, yeah. You know, they were they were just so nice. Yeah. Seems like there's a song in that ride. You know, uh, I think there's some there's definitely some lyrics that that point to that. Yeah. So then he moves to Oxford, and and there's this place called the Hoka Club, Seth. Right, the Hoka. Yeah. You'll love this, and this is a lesson for you, young people. If if you need a gig, sometimes you have to create your own gig is that essentially what you did i did there was a little broken down piano in the back it was a movie theater and a coffee shop that served hot fudge pie and you know it's where people would go it wasn't a bar but there was a movie theater in the back there was a old beat up upright piano at the entrance and i just begged ron shapiro the owner um if i could play for tips uh in the movie theater and um and he was so con you know he he uh, let me get a cheese sandwich, you know, and stuff like that, and and uh, paid me a little bit, you know, enough to go to the uh, get some mac and cheese, you know, <laughs> enough to see the movie. <laughs> it's better stuff to. And eat. I, I got to see the movies, but uh, oh, free movies. the Hoka was just uh, without the Hoka. I mean, it it really, you know, Ron really kind of uh, has helped out artists and musicians in Mississippi, you know, for Ron Shapiro. Ron Shapiro, yeah, he's he's just uh, one of those guys who's just really helps out and, and helps uh, artists. And that's where you were when you met the which guy from Beanland came in and heard well, you? Well, Rob Laird was a drummer and he came in and uh, heard me playing and Beanland was playing down the street and he invited me to come sit in. And you just kind of flowed with Well, them. they were playing a lot of dead covers and uh, a few almonds, but, uh, but they had three originals. Uh, one called Oceans, Take Me to the Show, and Aretha. And uh, Aretha, I know that one. Yeah, so they were they they had the you know uh, those songs and um, but yeah, I just uh, really you know learned uh, that music and uh, I learned a lot of Grateful Dead songs. That's for sure. And were you uh, a Dead fan going into that? Well, I was a real fan of their albums, but not the live stuff. But I never went on the road with them. You know, right, I didn't right. do the touring thing. But yeah, their albums, you know, were definitely you know at the front of my record collection. You know, along with Neil Young and the Allman Brothers and. Have you ever, did you ever see the, the Dead, though, at that time? Or? I, I saw them when they came through New York City. I saw them mm -hmm. at the Beacon and the Meadowlands and stuff. But, yeah, I didn't, like, travel around. Right, right. But, um, you know, I learned a lot of songs, you know, that I learned a lot of the songs from their catalog that I didn't really know. So, But what um, about those days traveling around with Beanland in the van? I mean, that, that yeah. shaped the character that you are now, right? And what are your memories of those days? Well, uh, you know, um, they're the best days of my life. And... Uh, beat up couches and then uh built a partition and then put the equipment behind the partition so you know we wouldn't get killed if we right. if we had to do a short stop so yeah it, it was uh we spent a lot of time we called it the big bird it was a big yellow truck rider truck and spent about five years in the back of that big bird and <laughs> glad i did <laughs> and at some point you start gigging with widespread right and you know um widespread uh well, I heard their record before I saw them. Somebody played me Space Wrangler, and and uh, then I saw the band, and uh, you know, just 
I've started following them around actually a little bit. I went up to uh, Dave at uh, Pinball Machine at the FM Patio in New Orleans one day and uh, said, what? you know, they didn't have a keyboard player. And I was like, man, you know, I know all your songs. You know, you... And, and I heard the organ parts on Space Wrangler. You know, there's little organ patches and stuff. So I was like, you know, if you want someone to do that stuff, you know, I can do it. And it's like, great. And uh, three years later, I get a phone call out of the blue. like From Sam, the manager, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you want to go on the road with the boys? And I was like, oh, yeah. And uh, I was at Ole Miss at the time. It was right during, right, uh, like in March, you know, preparing for exams and stuff. <laughs> and I just bolted, man. I, I just, I don't think I even told my teachers I was leaving, you know. <laughs> did you ever see T. Lavitz play with them? Yes. And what, what do you think about, did, did, did that shape your approach or were you more focused on the, uh, what was played on the records, as you said? Um, before, before I mean, you obviously turned it into your own thing. I'm talking about yeah. initially. Well, T uh, played on the second record, The Mom's Kitchen. And so, I, you know, I learned those parts, Better Off, and, you know, his, he uh, wrote the organ parts on that. So, yeah, the songs that T recorded on, I, I learned his parts. You know, he was a brilliant player, yeah. What's what, T doing these days? Have you never, I haven't really see, heard much. Uh, T passed uh, well, that's explained, a few years ago. Yeah. That explains why. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, it was sad. He was one of the finals for the dead job, too, speaking of the Grateful Dead. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, you know what's a funny story about you uh, that I love? Because sometimes signature sounds come from the strangest places. And you went on the road with Freddie Jones' band one time when they something yes. happened to their keyboardist. And how did uh, they... Their guitar player, uh, Wayne, had to leave tour. He got sick. And they asked me to fill in for him a little bit. And so, you know, I filled in some of the parts. They had a new record out. on. And how did they reward you for that? And job? we were in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And... Um, we were in a pawn shop, and I saw this clavinet, and it was 150 bucks. Just this broken down clav. Went and bought the clav, and I was with, I think it was Marty, and was there, and the, the other Freddie Jones guys, and uh, and they were like, "Oh man, we'll get that." And I was like, "No, you don't got to do that." It's like, "Yeah, man, let let's get that," because you know you kind of filled in for Wayne and and helped us out a little bit. And it was so, the last minute, right? You jumped on the road with them, right? And then. Um, well, we were touring together. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were opening for Panic. So I was already there. Yeah, yeah. But it's still but, risky. You don't really know their music. Well, you know, it's a nice, nice thing to do. And, and, and uh, yeah, I just sat in with them. It wasn't a big deal. But anyway, yeah, they, they just uh, said, uh, here, man, we'll give you this clav. You know, thanks for helping us out. And then once I started playing that clav, you know, I just never got off it. I did, it was like, wow, this is... And then added the wah-wah pedal, and I was like, N now I know what I'm supposed to do, you know? <laughs> if you really came to your own voice like, there. Yeah. you know, during those 20-minute jams, it's like, the clap, now I get it. But you also were doing <laughs> stuff during the compose section. Would you just try that out on the band on stage, or were you, were you saying, hey, can I do this on this part? Uh, back then, you know, you could do whatever you wanted. It just... It, so they were always welcoming, even though you were the new, when you really were the new guy in the band. They yeah, were always... Well, Freddie Jones, I was in the band three or four years at that point. Um, but no, uh, no, at first, you know, just, uh, just play the songs. Yeah. But no, I mean, um, uh, I think after about a year, year and a half, I was like, you know, I should contribute a song, you know, not just sit in the back and, and just kind of play chords and, you know, I should probably con contribute a song. So wrote blackout. We were playing red beans right. by professor long hair. And then I was basically lifted that riff. And then wrote a song around Red Beans, and uh, that was Blackout Blues, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that went pretty good. You know, people 
weren't like throwing tomatoes at me and, and <laughs> I wasn't getting booed off stage. Not yet. That that came years later, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, there was a period where they probably were. I've been, when they throw uh, lighters at you. <laughs> yeah. All right. They threw lighters at me. Oh, but, uh, you know, Black Eye went good, and then, uh, you know, started bringing a few more, and, and they seemed to be okay. You know, everybody was having a good time with them. So, yeah. But, you know, the band is just so gracious and uh, and uh, about allowing people to, uh, you know, create and, and be part of the process. You know, you know it's, it's pretty wide open. They're also gracious. One of my favorite things about Widespread Panic is that they shine a light on songwriters who are underappreciated and otherwise would be less notice like Vic Chestnut like Jerry Joseph right. like uh, Daniel and the guys from Bloodkin yeah but mm-hmm. it's because they write such great songs I mean yeah. you know it's it's yeah. uh, it's just a, a case of uh, people recognizing how great those songs are and, and you know where would we be without those songwriters and, you know? and speaking of shedding a light uh, your lighting designer uh, seems like if I if I understand the story correctly about two or three years ago, he kind of came to you guys and said, hey, I want to try something new. And you guys increased his budget. And now uh, the show that he's bringing is, is pretty spectacular. We increased the budget? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? I didn't hear about that. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you know, Paul, well, uh, Paul Hoffman, our lighting mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, you know, uh, he's kind of like a band member uh, in, in, a, in a sense, you know, where his creative brought his creativity is a big part of the show so yeah you know he just uh you know works with us and, how, uh, how often do you find yourself deep in improv and find the light show actually influences where the music moves um it does you know uh it sometimes does yeah uh i have to you know he shows really funny videos in the back and does some really fun stuff so i have to like make sure i don't just sit there and start watching his <laughs> video show and it's like i gotta remember it's like wait a minute you know i gotta play <laughs> i'm in the band yeah <laughs> and and while we have your year and uh i know we're running a little bit out of time because you got a, a show to get ready for here um but uh, speak a little bit about uh the horns uh and in particular with widespread panic and notice when you'd play with uh say the dirty dozen sits in with you it almost turns into a different band yeah, man, I'll tell you. When those guys come up, yeah, it turns into a... I think it's because we did that those records together, uh-huh. you know, and when you record and, and do records, um, you become a band. Yeah, so when the Dirty Dozen's up there with us, it really goes to uh, improv. Uh, you know, we're all just one band. And and uh, I, I remember in Vegas, we played with them recently, and we did a Mardi Gras New Orleans, Mardi Gras New Orleans, a Professor Longhair song, Fest would do this thing where people would sit in them, and if the song was in the key of C, he would purposely go to C sharp and not tell the other people, hmm. you know. And it, it just created this, you know, everybody like, what's going on? What's you know? It's kind of a trick he played on musicians. And so, you know, I went to the dozen. I was like, man, you know, Et and Kevin and Roger. And I was like, man, let's go to that C sharp like Fest used to do and they knew exactly uh. <laughs> that trick and uh and uh it, it's almost like this illusion of dissonance that happens so you know yeah we're we know the same songs you know yeah and also for someone like jimmy it seems like jimmy is able to he plays uh he, more towards his roots and and more on that jazz uh, jazz side of jimmy you know he uh he he's just the best i don't know what else to say he's the best <laughs> He's uh, he's such a great guy. He's such a professional. He's such a great player. But what and he's such a great writer, you know. Too. I mean, it's just 
everything about him. Mm-hmm. All right, before we run out of time, can you talk about the time the clavinet led to Art Neville sitting in with you? Yeah, Red Rocks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were at Red Rocks, and and uh, I think it was the meters were uh, with us on that on that run, and. So this is a while ago. And I, I had not met Art up to that point. This was a long time ago. And uh, I just remember I was, you know, just playing on the clav, doing, you know, the, that funky clav thing. And all of a sudden, I, out of the corner of my eye, circling back behind the ham, and uh, Leslie, and there was Art Neville. And he just kind of came around, nodded his head, looked at me playing the cab. And he, he, you know, just kind of nodded his head. and was like, yeah. And... Uh, after that, I, I went to him and said, well, would you, he, he agree to sit in with us? But uh, I felt like definitely earned uh, some stripes on that one. That, that was a big moment I'll never forget is getting a nod from Art Neville. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. One of the greats. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talked to Jordan Zucker before doing this. I'm yeah. Sure you know <laughs> I just saw him. He said at Red Top Mountain 2004 that you, you like wandered off stage and somehow got past a checkpoint and they were playing and you didn't have your pass and he had to go find you or something like that. Is that the story? Well, it's a very common story. That happens a lot. <laughs> uh, my first gig, I got thrown out of a gig by a, a, a gentleman named One Arm Steve. One Arm Steve. And that's what that song's about. Um, Made himself a legend. I just have this thing, you know, where I just get thrown out of gigs a lot. Uh, and you're so unassuming that and you don't I'll, look and like... And I'll, I'll have the pass. I mean, I'll, I'll have the laminate. It's not like I forgot the laminate. And they, I, I can't tell you how many times, like, the six of us, you know, will walk up the stairs to the stage. And, like, I'll be last in line. And the, the other five guys, they just let right up. And then they, they, like, block me. And it's like, excuse me, sir, do you have a pass? <laughs> And I'm like, man, I'm at. I get a little of the photo. I get a little that myself. Yeah, like you know. No, you get that because you get thrown out for your your concert behavior. At Red Rocks, I had a VIP and waited till the end of the show, and the guy was suspicious that I, because I hadn't been using it all night. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, let me check, and he went and checked uh, on me. Well, the worst the the worst was Alpine Valley, where you know we were playing with the Phil Lesh, Bob Dylan, and stuff. So we, you know, I wanted to go out front and see the show after our set. And, man, they were letting me back all day. You know, the guy, they were so cool. And then I went to catch the bus, you know, at the end of the night. They wouldn't let me back. I had the pass. I had the laminate. They were like, nope, sorry. That's Dylan, though, right? They're, no, no, that had nothing to do with the artist. Really? This is just, you know, some security yeah. guy. No, the artists have nothing to do with any of this stuff. But it was just some security guy. And anyway, so I was like, if I have to run for it. If I don't run for it, I'm stranded. I'm going to have to sleep in the parking lot. So I just bolted through the security guards, ran for it. The guy chased me down, and he tackled me <laughs> in the in the little patio where the kind of they served the coffee and stuff. And I and I look up like on the ground. This guy tackles me, and I look up, and three feet above me is Phil Lesh looking at me like, "Who is this guy? Like, what the fuck is going on?" And that's how I met him. <laughs> <laughs> and a pepper. There's also a time you were recording, and uh, you found a piano in the woods. You guys were, were recording... Um... In the Bahamas? Yes. It was uh, in a field next to the studio. They had just had a meeting there, like a, a gospel tent kind of deal. And they just left the piano. They were just sitting there in the middle of the field. So, yeah, uh, it was a whole half step off, so I had to uh, play everything in a, in a different key. Uh, we did Ribs and Whiskey on that thing. Yeah. Is that the only song? You didn't play it on others? That was the only one, yeah. Uh, what are some other? But I had to play it in G sharp instead of G, you know. What are some fun other fun moments you've had in the studio? 
Oh, with like well, adornments. We, Slim Wednesday just had the best night last night at a, a local studio here called Diamond Street, and it's right down the street here. And we—it's one of the best sessions I've ever done. We got in there at like ten at night. We played till three in the morning hmm. in just this tiny little room. And um, Spencer, the sound man, just had it dialed in. And so yeah, we basically recorded an album last night till three in the morning in in one night. It was How many songs? Awesome. We got six down. Nice. And Spencer, yeah. Spencer Garn, he, uh, I actually know him back from uh, promoting in 1996 and 98. Oh, nice. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he's a he's, great player, man. Yeah, he, he's a great player, and his uh, his ear on the boogaloo is just dialed in. Yeah. Really, yeah. really gets that. Good stuff. How was it playing with Carlos Santana? Uh, at the Greek. Um, yeah, we did uh, uh, Casa del Grio, I remember. Yeah. He was... He was so nice. He, I, I just remember uh, he was a very uh, sharing, sharing gentleman. He was just such a, it was that, you know. It must great. just lift the band off its feet when it has someone at that level of energy and presence. You know what I mean? Well, you know, God, you know, uh, John Fogarty sitting in with us, Steve Winwood. I mean, you know, when the people who you grew up listening to as a child all of a sudden end up on stage with you and whose records changed your life. You know, when I was young and in the 70s and stuff, I mean, my record collection changed my life. My whole worldview came from these stupid pieces of vinyl out of a chewed up piece of cardboard that my dog chewed up. But that's how I that's what shaped everything that I am is those records. I think it's amazing that, you know, a sound off a piece of vinyl can just have do that. Um, I love that. So when all of a sudden you're on stage with these people, with these artists, um, you know, yeah, it's kind of uh, you savor it. (laughs) Now, with regard to to Jimmy, was it do you have you on your toes when he first joined the band as far as improv? Did you guys have to uh, I don't know. It it kind of reminds me when uh, Bruce Hornsby joined the Grateful Dead after Brent Midland passed away that the Weir and Garcia said oh he forced us to listen to each other more he kept us on our toes so even though the dead lost their energy in a way from Brent leaving they they had this whole new style of playing do you feel that that happened with Jimmy and was um, there was there a, a, a period where it was a struggle before well, you found you know, that new ground um no there was never a struggle or anything um but yeah, I've learned so much, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, I could talk all day about how much I've learned playing with Jimmy. And, and Jimmy and I are talking, we're doing a gig together with George Porter and Zigaboo in mm. New Orleans uh, after, uh, during Jazz Fest. Uh, and so Jimmy and I are kind of putting songs together and with George and Zig and like, uh, you know, digging back into the Meters catalog and really trying to so, Excellent. Um, mm. Yeah, you never stop learning. I mean, no, no matter what you're doing. You know, I mean, George Porter's another guy. Big presence, big improv, big, big in the moment. I mean, he yeah. must be just such a rush to play with someone like that. It is. Well, again, like I was saying before, when you play with the people whose records changed your life, you, you know, you just get a, a feeling of, um, you know, you just I just kind of pinch myself. Well, what know? about when you get to play one of your songs, like Winwood at Lockin? Yeah. And he even sang a verse on Surprise Valley. Whose idea yeah. was that? Um, did he know the song? Uh, or did Randall um, make that happen? Uh, well, I'm not sure exactly, but I think it came up. You know, um, I, I think uh, when it comes to you know vocals, I mean they they kind of hammer it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, 
Yeah, you know, uh, you know, like I said, you know, when uh, when you play with the people who change your life, you just it's it's. Lockin seems to want the best thing ever. They want to pair you up with with players like that. Yes, I'm very thankful for Lockin. You know, they they kind of came up with that uh, that thing. You know, the the John Fogarty set was so great. That was awesome. Would you guys ever go out of genre and play with a jazz artist or a country artist? I do not have the discipline personally to play country music. <laughs> I've done a few sessions in Nashville, and I never get called back. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I'm, I think my session days as my aspirations as a session player in Nashville have been quashed fairly quickly, um, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> and you're married, and you have a couple kids, and you live in a very in kind of a historic house in Nashville. Is that true? We live uh, on the old Natchez Trace. The house isn't historic, but we live right off the old Natchez Trace, um, which is the oldest road in America. It goes back to prehistoric times oh, wow. when saber-toothed tigers and big woolly mammoths would come down because uh, Nashville is very heavy with salt. And uh, on the Harpeth River there on the old Natchez Trace uh, had a big salt deposits and the animals would come down to the river and that kind of blazed a little trail and then the uh, Native Americans used it as a uh, trading route and then it be turned into the Natchez Trace. So yeah, we live on the oldest road in America. I, I tell that to all my friends who visit. Excellent. <laughs> I do recall that There's story. a little history for you. That's nice. I love it. Joe, 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 Mississippi boy, Mississippi obscene. I'm not coming back. Seth. I'm not doing it. You're pulling a Fred Norris on you me. You are dear ticking me off. All right, so this is one of these uh, poolside chatters. By the way, you interviewed Patterson Hood by the poolside, I right? did. That was the first one. That's where uh, I got pinged. Oh, wait, Patterson Hood and Randall Ramblet. Right. How do, and, the, how do those uh, interviews compare to the two we've done with the same two. Oh, totally different. I'm sitting by a pool. Different? And much different. You have you, you actually know that you actually do more research and uh, have very good questions to ask here. Mm. Oh, look at Robbie's getting mm. so happy right now. And uh, which is cool. We have a, ho- a hotel undisclosed location. Don't bring any of the snowflake jerks over. Um, that already happened. 
that like this this episode now is being released. Oh, that's right. We will have had. Yes. We will have already been bothered by those people, right? <laughs> no, we wouldn't be bothered. No, it's, 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 you can't tell people you have a hotel near a festival like that. You don't tell people. It's not a hotel. It's called a studio. Right. We're going to have a studio. Yes. Studio. That right. I'm going to sleep in. No, you're not sleeping in it. I have to take naps. I'm going to work around the clock on this. He's a really, he's a a gorilla. Very desired, desired. All right, listen, folks. Desired driven. Yeah, what was the story in this deer tech? I'm not going to tell the story. I want you guys to hear the story, but we're going to go through uh, different parts. But basically, what it was is LL Pool J was was interviewing them by the pool at the Hard Rock Riviera for the LL Pool J. One big yeah. Is that the man behind Jamley Feud? Uh, Yes, it is actually. Yes, yes, I mean fucking hell. Go Uh, on. So just just so. the interview, uh, they start off by talking about Steve Berlin, his producing and stuff. But what I really want you guys to pay attention to is the story at the end that where we close out this interview. They reveal some things about their time together as a band, which is pretty funny. And I can't believe they're, they let us... That, that says a lot about the band, that they don't care. But then again... They, they're pretty awesome. I mean, it's this interview, they, they uh, leaked that they're going to have a, an album, a double album. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of good gems in this. So, uh, and what did when when Steve met m- met the guy? Oh, uh, the mushroom story. We should we should add that to this as well. <laughs> no, go to episode twenty nine. Great story. You, we should do episode bingo on our show, Rob. All right, folks, time to pull out your cards. Oh, we just do a reference to it. Yeah, episode? exactly. And you got to you got to bubble the the episode, and we'll do it live on Facebook Facebook Live thing. This could be good. All right. If you like this idea, you can uh, email us, insideoutwtns at gmail.com. And listen, John Jones, or what, that's what he goes by, which, come on, if you're going to make up a name, really, John Jones, but whatever, John Jones, we appreciate you emailing. And we also understand you're the only person emailing, so we're happy to see the stuff in the inbox. But we know Rob doesn't want Fruit of the Looms as a sponsor. He does want a sponsor. He's very open to a sponsor. But and Seth is fully heterosexual. Stop it. Go on. Here's to your tick. We are back. Where are we? Hard Rock. By Riviera. It's the Poolside Broadcast. I'm your host, LL Pool J. You know, growing up in Rhode Island, I imagine you, there's a lot of influences that, that have hit you all. And let's talk a little bit about, you know, where you guys come from and what, uh, what music really turns you guys on. Sure. Uh, actually, my first concert I ever went to was the Newport Folk Festival. My, uh, my parents took me to see Los Lobos there in 1989, I think. Is that when you first met Steve Berlin? We did not meet on that, that day. But, uh, yeah, if I ever want to make Steve feel like a really old man, I just remind him that uh, that I went to that show when I was, was I three. <laughs> Good memory, though, huh? <laughs> 
And you do some stuff. You you've been doing some work with Steve though lately. Uh, we did our last album. Thank you. With uh, with Steve Negativity. Uh, I play in a little band on the side with Steve called Diamond Rugs. Who we haven't done anything in a while, but 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 that means but, a while. That's a while ago. So uh, maybe in the future we got some new stuff coming. I will say that we have been emailing each other lately. So so that's it. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna go into the the details of those emails. Let's get these emails leaked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have we had this conversation? Any hackers in the audience today? <laughs> Let's talk about emails on vacation. The emails are buried under a wall. You're not sick and tired of hearing about my damn emails? So, okay, so Steve Berlin turned you on. He's one of them. In regards to Newport, over the years there, there's been so many amazing old timers that we've gotten to play alongside that have been incredible to see like seeing Ramblin' Jack Elliott or somebody like that is walking around on a cell phone is pretty strange Ramblin' Jack nicknamed me Captain Tipsy <laughs> any memories? I don't remember anything you don't remember anything? <laughs> no <laughs> I'm just kidding but there's a we had a pretty cool scene growing up in Providence too a lot of mill buildings and a lot of different sounding loud bands. And I think that that influenced a lot of us. And, and as you're creating this new sound and you're doing this through an old, structured society, if you will, how's, how, how, do the, how does people like Steve Berlin and, and others in that, 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 uh, that set the foundation for you all take, take what you guys are doing, especially with bringing in all these youth to the folk side? Um... I don't know. It feels like, you know, like the, the motto here is one big family. And I feel like that extends across all these different types of bands like My Morning Jacket and Us and Kurt Vile and back at the Folk Fest bands like the Felice Brothers and stuff. Everybody kind of knows each other and we get to interact with all the fans pretty often at events like this. And it's kind of just become comfortable over the years. And it seems like these bands have a closer relationship with their audience than some other genres, I guess. It seems like that's kind of benefited the fans and the bands to have that relationship. Absolutely. It seems... That's Thank to you, you all. Guys. Cheers to you all there. <laughs> yeah! yeah! The pool! The pool. Eventually, one day, we want to do, like, there's been those road to Newport things. Maybe we could go from on a boat from here to Newport over a couple months playing. Or tickets are on sale. And actually, just talk to Robert right here. He'll go ahead and uh, sell you the tickets here. <laughs> there, there's a Hard Rock Cafe almost everywhere. Yeah. Seems that way, yeah. Well, you know, just... It's, it's just gone a never-ending tour of Hard Rock Cafes. <laughs> take everyone with us. <laughs> and they want to take you all with them. You're all invited. So uh, let's let's talk about life, right? We're talking about life a little bit. I understand. One of you, how many of you have kids now? Is it just you? Just me. Just you. And and you were home for the first year, if I if I recall, being being like the Mr. Mr. Mom. Yeah, it was great. Best um, best time of my life, I think. No offense, guys. Yeah. I would okay. feel offended for Sydney if you didn't say that. Yeah, I changed a lot of diapers, learned a lot of new things. 
Uh, did, it, did the music that he brought back to you guys after uh, after that year was it uh, a little whiny, a little a lot a lot more like cries coming from the guitar? <laughs> A lot more gibberish. A lot more gibberish. Yeah. Yeah. Gibberish. <laughs> the new album will be nuanced lyrically. <laughs> All right. All right. So, but you're now you guys are going to be hitting the road a lot more this year, correct? Yeah, we're gonna um, we're gonna put out a lot of music at the end of the summer, I believe, uh, and we're gonna be hitting a bunch of like festivals over the summer, and then we're gonna be a real band again starting in September or something like that. Double album. Double album. Yes. We haven't told anybody that yet, except for our friends and family. So, well, it's a good thing we're not recording this. <laughs> no, actually, we're kind of trying to. Our label uh, and us are kind of having conflicting visions on how to put all this music out. So, if we just tell you it's a double album, then uh, they're gonna have to put it out as a double album. Do you guys want more music or less music? <laughs> There you go, Tim. Yeah. If you're listening. <laughs> right on. So, um, some of the festivals that you guys have been doing. What's uh, personally speaking, what's what what do you enjoy more as a as an artist? The the festival experience, performing music there, the one hour set, or more of the the sweaty club? I like a hot sweaty club. <laughs> but that's kind of what this is uh, <laughs> down here. So. Boston? Yeah, all right. We'll play in Boston, sure. We'll go back. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. <laughs> no, it's nice that the bands get to play long sets here, which yeah. is unusual for a festival. Yeah, that uh, kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. Like, I don't know. I don't feel... I don't get better as a musician by, like, practicing at home. I have to, like, screw up in front of an audience. So... When we have like an hour and a half to stretch out at like a festival, that's kind of nice because uh, I come out of it a better musician, and and you get to uh, experience all the wrong notes with me. <laughs> it's not, notes not wrong, it's, uh, unless you make unless you tell people it's wrong, isn't that right? You just screwed up. <laughs> it's all jazz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So then, um, the camaraderie. I mean, it's for us, I mean, for the fans here, on the fan side, everyone. It's a, it's such an awesome experience at a festival to to just be with each other and feed off each other. On the music side, what are some of the festivals that really uh, stand out to you all for your experience, and what would that experience be that makes it special? Uh, uh, Newport's set the bar pretty high for us, I guess. Uh, it's pretty amazing to have that in our own backyard, so to speak. Um, but uh, I don't know. There's I. Uh, I always I like doing shaky knees. We've been back there a couple times. Yeah, there's always a, a really cool lineup that's not. You know, our band is a. We veer between rock and roll and more songwritery stuff, and that festival seems to cover the gamut of bands that I want to see too. Now, when you're at these festivals like that, are you um, working your routing so that you can spend some time and actually, you know, socialize with the other musicians and, and feed off of them and, and, and share all that? Like I was saying, the fan base is able to do that, but do you guys thrive off of such, such experiences? I always like, if, we don't, if we're not on tour and we're just flying out to a festival or whatever, I, I like to stay the entire time if we can. Uh, 
It's like homework. Yeah. How so? You get to see how other people do it and how they play their instruments and songs and maybe study some of their stuff. I like that a lot. Yeah. What are some of the... Do you have any moments that uh, come to mind uh, that you just you saw and you're just like, oh, shit, I got to go back. I'm, I'll, I'll be in the bus, guys. <laughs> Whenever we see Preservation Hall play, it's pretty cool. All right. And my morning jacket's second set of this week was really, really fun to watch from the balcony and stuff like that. It was... That was pretty special. That was good. Uh, I didn't do anything last night. I went to bed pretty early. Me too. Uh, <laughs> That's the father you're talking there. <laughs> 10 o'clock. It was really late, but, you know. I watched some um, really crappy Vince Vaughn movie. Well, here's a hint. Netflix does work in Mexico. I figured that out after the Vince Vaughn movie. <laughs> Half these people are like, wait a second, there's a TV? What? <laughs> what are you talking about? I had, uh, I was uh, sun fatigued. So you guys put Lou Reed in this playlist that you, you, uh, you shot me over here. What's, uh, what's Lou Reed mean to you? I, I think um, Lou Reed, to me, I picked the song. He's, uh, he's kind of like the ideal Northeast coast musician songwriter that i can think of he kind of epitomizes the northeast and his vocal delivery his frank lyricism that i don't think a lot of other people have done successfully and that's where we're from so all right would well, you guys want to listen to little lou reed this song is not a party song i'm sorry <laughs> all right get those floats out because it's time to lay back should have done waves of fear know each other for a long time tell us some tell everybody here something funny here they want to hear a story they want to hear a story from it doesn't have to be from the road it could be from the studio it could be from i don't know playing ping pong when you were like whenever so uh yeah i'll give you a second to think about that ian peed in my suitcase once did i this seems to be a theme this weekend to talk about our peeing habits (laughs) yeah i was about to say it so again pipeline now it comes together. Yeah, sure. I thought that was appropriate. Pipeline, <laughs> P, stream, the whole deal. It makes oh. sense. I got a story I could tell you about. Um, one time we were playing a music festival somewhere in Canada. I won't say what it is because I don't want us to get in trouble about this. But uh, we played a set earlier in the day, and this is back when we used to have a lot more fun. Uh, <laughs> it, um, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> not that story. <laughs> Uh, but we were all like hanging out in a hotel room, like gonna go out for the night and see some bands or whatever. And um, I believe it went like this: we're all drinking, we're ox glasses, and we kind of just—I think John turned around to pee on me in the bathroom. <laughs> so I threw a rocks glass at him, just out of like pure shock, what was happening. He got out of the way, and it hit the toilet bowl, and the toilet bowl broke in half and was flushing into the room. And then, I, yeah, our old bandmate Robbie, I think, was peeing on John. Yeah, John was peeing on Ian, <laughs> and Robbie was peeing on him. Sounds and like a the song. the glass got thrown. We're a lot older now, but. And Melanie <laughs> fixed it. 
Yeah, and our tour manager at the time went with like super glue and re- repaired the toilet yeah. so that we wouldn't get charged for it. God, you guys, that's a <laughs> shitty story if I heard one. I guess you had to be there. I, I peed know. on Chris in an elevator once. <laughs> What's up? What? Uh, a lot of pee. Oh, wait, we can tell you yeah. not about pee, are you saying? So well, when you guys play games, it's always urine. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> in the pool. There's a lot of people. How many of you guys, guys in the pool, pool are peeing right now? Yeah. How many people feel a little warm? Yeah. Does everybody want to get out of the pool now? <laughs> well, you know, it, it is chlorinated. That's okay. I mean, come on, seriously, peeing in the pool's okay. It's just peeing on someone in the pool. That's just not cool. I don't see much of a difference, really. What about in an elevator? Uh, I don't have, you know, going up, going down. It's just, I mean, hold on, hold on. I got a question. When you were in the elevator, did you press number one or number two? Did you poop on Chris? Six. Question. Six. Uh, I don't even know where to go after this. Pissing stories like this that. This is what we do in interviews. <laughs> So tell me about your mother. No, that's oh. therapy. I forgot. I can't do that here. Uh, but I am available. If, uh, I have a couch. I do couch tours. You, uh, what is that? What's the couch tour? It's where I bring a couch and a bus and then go, you know, be backstages and therapize with artists for a little bit. Oh, we could use it. Well, have a seat. Tell us. Tell us. <laughs> well, will you want a little therapy session? No. Let's see here. I think I have a note. <laughs> So June fourth, the state does it bring a bring a reminder? June fourth. June fourth is uh. Was that when we got banned from the Independent in San Francisco? I don't know, but it sounds right. <laughs> How do you feel about that? That was funny. We're not banned anymore. <laughs> we got back on their good side. Where have you been banned by many venues? Just a few. Not really. No. Uh, not as a band. I mean, personally speaking. Oh, I think we're uh, much better on an individual basis yeah? at, not, at being good. So you don't just like piss on the, the band when you're watching them. That's good. That's good no, we just out. had a real real tear for a couple of years. Yeah, what came out of that tear? Would you say some of your best music ever? No. <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest. <laughs> See, kids, you don't need to do drugs to make good music. Heroin is only for Miles Davis. Well, actually, I can't say that because he did a hell of a job with it. Damn it. The our double album be? New couple of records will be coming at the end of the summer, and it will be our best music that we've made in a very long time. A couple of years. All right, we'll end with that. But uh, hey, guys, thank you guys so much for uh, sitting down here at the Poolside Broadcast. Thank you. I'm sorry we're so weird and uh, bad at interviews. And Thanks for goofing around with us. Yeah. Next time we interview live with you guys, we'll definitely have balloon animals because I think that was what was missing. Absolutely. All right, well, we'll take it out with this one. We'll do a shot and stick around for bingo because we got what? Bingo! B-I-N-G-O, 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 and bingo was his name. Oh. I'll be here all night. <laughs> that story's the best. I love it. I love those guys. I love that says it all about them. I got the after the They're st- down to earth.
After, their fame has not affected them whatsoever. If that doesn't prove it, I don't know what does. After that interview, and then the Steve, mixed with a Steve Berlin interview, I went out immediately and got the got an album that he produced of theirs and on vinyl. So come over, Rob. Have some. You know what? I'll make a Sazerac for you. Do you oh, like that? that? That was the whiskey drink you made for Beasley. Yes, yes, it was. It was Craig Beasley Sazerac. <laughs> we'll see you all in two weeks. Thank you. One, two, one, two, three. Hey
came up with this on the Jam Cruise. Y'all been on Jam Cruise? I kept walking around to people saying, Y'all, what do you think of this?